1: Fast to vote.
2: Welcome to the Confederacy of Dunks Basketball, Basketball podcast. podcast. I am your host, Freddie Revis. And who, sir, with a very nice background and Raptors <laughs> hat, are you?
3: I'm your producer, Matt Duncan. Freddie, how have you been this last week?
2: I have been doing pretty good, hanging yeah. in there. Uh, you know, doing my family feud warm up. I'm sure you can hear it in my voice. Mm-hmm. It's pretty strained. I've been yelling a lot. So, uh, yeah, I mean, having a good time, making people laugh. That's good, man. Yeah, how you
3: doing? I'm well. I'm, uh, you know, just took the week off last week. So, you know, we don't take vacations very much. But, uh, you know, I'm feeling a little re-energized, ready to go. I guess you know.
2: I love it. I love it. Well, um, yeah, if you're just tuning into this podcast uh, for the first time or you're coming back, we are hardcore Raptors fans. Uh, we have comedians, analysts, uh, actors. Basically, if you're a Raptors nut uh, and or an NBA nut, you are welcome on this pod and you're in the right place. We're with Raptors Republic. And, uh, you know, if people want to help us out. Make us the greatest podcast on Earth. Whoa. How can they do that, Maddie? Well, go to
3: raptorsrepublic.com that yes, as Freddie said, that is uh, where the podcast is and you can subscribe on all the podcatchers If you want to listen to the full episodes, if you were on YouTube watching the segments we put up there, please subscribe, please rate, please comment. We love all that good stuff. And yeah, just go to dunkspodcast.com. That's our own personal site. You can listen and watch there as well.
2: Beautiful. Um, Well, I think uh, right before I introduce the guests here, uh, I will say, as I've been saying, uh, Free Brittany Griner, me and my uh, podcast buddy, Catherine Niker, we do a WNBA uh, pod called... WNBA, the pickup podcast on the Sonar Network. Uh, We've been covering that for a long time. Uh, Also, make sure you tune into the WNBA finals. Uh, It's two nothing aces right now, but uh, it's been an incredible playoff so far. And I honestly feel sorry for anyone who's not watching uh, the WNBA playoffs because it's fantastic. But with that said, uh, we got some Raptors stuff to talk about, some NBA stuff to talk about. So let's bring on guest number one. He's done the podcast a bunch of times. Uh, we met a couple of years ago. He's an amazing dude. Uh, it was recently his birthday. Uh, a hilarious guy, producer at the CBC, and just all around basketball aficionado. Give it up as loud as you can, even if you're at home alone. For Derek Deonorein.
1: <laughs> What's up? That was a nice dance. Yeah, man, I was, I was just feeling the music, man. It was, it was a good beat. You know, I appreciate the the intro music. I know that it's a uh, license free. So uh, <laughs> saving you guys.
2: Yeah. Matt, make sure we don't get sued for yep. the music. Yep. First and foremost, um, thank you so much for doing the podcast again, man.
1: No, thank you guys for having me. I always appreciate it. It was a good time.
2: Amazing. Um, cool. Well, let's, uh, let's get going on guest number two. Uh, it's her first time doing the podcast. I've you know known about her through the basketball world for a long time. Uh, If you are on Raptors Twitter, you for sure know who she is. Um, Of course, Dishes and Dimes, Yahoo Sports. She's incredible basketball personality, and I'm absolutely jacked to have her on this show. Give it up as loud as you can, even if you're home alone. For Iman Aiden, I'm assuming there's a beat. (laughs) I hope. Or maybe it's just this. Maybe here? Yeah, it feels very 80s video game. Yeah, you're speaking up to a
3: castle
2: with this. <laughs> um, what's up, Iman? How you doing? Thanks for joining the podcast. This is your forever podcast <laughs> music. I hope you like it.
0: Great. I love it. Uh, thank you for having me.
2: No problem. No problem. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, let's just, yeah, let's dive right into it. Uh, Maddie D, uh, please give me your your weirdest, bestest uh, Raptors. Maybe Weird Owl, Yankovic, Sting.
3: <laughs> raptors, rap <laughs> 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 nice. school. rap
2: Beautiful. Um, the stings, uh, you know, people come for the basketball chatter. They stay for Matt's <laughs> beautiful music choices and audio fully. Oh, God. Thank you, Maddie D I'm ripping you for no reason. Uh, you're wonderful. Uh, best producer in the game. Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's start with you, Aman. Um, just sort of blanket Raptors question here. Uh, pretty open-ended, I guess. But uh, training camps in uh, 12 days, I think. Uh, pretty sure I have that right. I know it's it kind of snuck up on me with all the Durant summer stuff. But, um, yeah, what's, what's your biggest question kind of heading into training camp and then obviously you know, preseason?
0: Yeah. Um, I, so, honestly, I'm higher on the Raptors than most people. I wanna say like I'm I'm pretty high on this team. I think the number one question that we can ask is about their half court offense, right? Like if there's going to be something that we focus in specifically, it's going to be their half court offense. But even before I get to that, the Raptors are the weirdest team in the NBA. I mean, the Cavs are pretty weird. They're just guards. They're just bigs. But Mm -hmm. the Raptors are also built incredibly odd. And the reason for that is they're going to constantly exploit mismatches. That is what they're going to do. That's a lot of what their offense is going to be, including in the half court. It's about exploiting your mismatches there which also means there's going to be a mismatch on the other end um and quite often yeah. that's going to be a big and a lack of the big that the raptors have they're a big team and they're going to bully teams but they don't have a big which makes them so weirdly built but i think that that would sort of be the number one question Precious Achua is kind of the answer to that question mm-hmm. right like what he can become so when i look at this team As opposed to like a team-wide question, I would sort of focus in on those two as my team-wide questions. I have questions for individual Raptors. What does Precious look like the pressures of the second half? That includes the three-point shot, but that also includes what he was able to do at times against a guy like Joel Embiid. You're not going to go up against him every single night, but he needs to hold his own against the bigs there. So I think those are sort of the two biggest questions that I have for this Raptors team heading into the year.
2: Yeah. Great points. You know, I, I, have been thinking about the Raptors half court offense really, you know, ever since Kyle Lowry was sort of like on his way out, because I think he did so much managing of the, of the half court offense. And, you know, when he left, there's sort of like this, like, I'm, I'm curious what nurses sort of like imprint on the team, like what our pet plays are going to be. And I think you brought up a good point about the mismatch going both ways. Because, yeah, it's like, you know, in, in, you know, uh, transition, it's like, okay, anyone can post up. Let's just, like, pitch it ahead sort of thing. But at the end of the day, teams are going to be able to set their defense, I don't want to say more often than not, but, like, certainly in the playoffs, and I think that's what you got to prepare for. So, yeah, is it, like, this team offensive rebounding thing? Like, what's kind of the, what's the game... Like what's or what's the end game? Like are are we still in like the middle game here? I I, I think yeah. I'm curious how high you are on the Raptors because I feel like I'm I'm in that camp of you know dangerously high. I, I have them sort of like finishing third in the East, which and a what? lot of people yeah I know I I'll say that to people and they'll kind of like laugh me. I don't know out, out of whatever room I'm in. Um, and the thing is, my my caveat is that I don't think that necessarily applies to the playoffs. I think yes. the playoffs are sort of a different game, but I do feel like we have weird depth and, and we've kind of been doubling and tripling down on it with, uh, you know, even like auto porters are like a good offensive rebounder for his size. So, I think we're going to just be this this weird curveball for a lot of teams in the regular season, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, we have a lot of guys that could develop, so uh, it should be pretty interesting. And I, I'll, last thing, I'll I'll, I'll kind of jump on, and I kind of want to throw it back to you, mom Like, as far as Precious goes, do you see like is your are your questions mostly about him being like is that the shooter he is or or is it that kind of like like is he that special on defense? Cause I think he showed moments where it was like, Oh my God, he's guarding Embiid, but he's switching to Harden. And it's kind of like, Oh wait, we saw that at the end of the season, but are we going to have that the whole season, like on against every team?
0: It's a little bit of both. Um, I am higher on Precious Achua than I am on any other human being that's ever played basketball ever. Um, <laughs> he, like I say this, it's so bad. I say this every time I get in front of a microphone, um, I would just, I would say this all the time. He reminds me of my niece who was 2 all of last year. Now she's 3 because every time I saw her again, I'm like, you know how to do that? Like, you know how to say yeah. those words? You know how to walk? Like every time I saw her, she'd like develop more into a human being. And I feel like every time I watch Precious do it, every single game, right? Cuz like toddlers grow daily. Um he would become a different player and it's like, okay, that Like, his trajectory from the beginning of the season where people were calling him a zero-level scorer, people Uh were saying he was the worst offensive player they ever saw, to him being a 40% three-point shooter changes everything with, like, Vision 6-9, right? Like, if he's able to do that, what that opens up for the team offensively. But I honestly am focusing more so defensively because if he can be your nominal five, that changes a lot of things for Uh for you as well because you can run with this lineup. If If we come against, you know, a Joel Embiid or a Nikola Jokic in the finals. Um, but like, if you come yeah. against these centers again, moving forward and you just get bullied, you just get demolished and you realize this team can't be built this way, it's probably because Precious isn't, doesn't have those high highs. Like He he could still be a really good player, but what you need from Precious is something special and something extraordinary, and he showed us glimpses of that last season. And like, there's reason to believe he can replicate that, but it is also asking a lot. So I'm Mm -hmm. really interested in what Precious Achua looks like as your five. I don't think the Raptors are going to start with him at the five. I think their starting five is going to be what we saw for most of last year, but I think numbers sort of bear out that the team looked better when they had a center playing, whether that be Precious. And Kem was hurt for tons of last year, so it was really unfair to look at his number, but to look at his numbers, but the team still looked better, uh, especially those offensive rebounding numbers. Kem has like a some magnets on his fingers in his ability to get those, but having that person really does open up things for the Raptors in terms of offense and defense. And if Precious can be that guy, this team is special. Um, and if he can't, it's because we're asking the world of him. <laughs> so who knows?
2: Yeah. I mean, again, great points all around. And I think, you know, yeah, we did see early in the season, you know, a, a point I've made a bunch of times is that I think having Pascal Siakam play as well as he did sort of like mid to, you know, like mid season and, and, and beyond.
0: September 1st onwards. Yeah.
2: Yes, exactly. It kind of allows everyone to fall into place. And I think a lot of people have this, this image burned in their head sort of, of like, of precious at the beginning of the year without Pascal, being overtasked, you know, uh, at points looking like you know Reggie Evans like around the basket, like and but but yeah, I, I mean you know at uh, least Reggie
0: was grabbing boards. What was? Precious
2: doing? <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Precious was mostly just getting blocked and and having <laughs> to like fix his hairband when it would fall <laughs> off after a cool play. Anyway. But um, yeah, Derek, let me let me go to you. You know, heading into. I guess the beginning of like, you know, fans and media and whatever, seeing the players a lot, because right now we don't we don't, you know, know where they all are, I guess, Rico Hines. But like, you know, for the most part, we're, we're not seeing them in Raptors uniforms kind of like all together and starting to get an idea of what the, the team is like, the rotations like the vibe is like. What's your big question? Questions?
1: Yeah, so I would say for me, to on's point uh, about the offense, I, I'm particularly concerned about shooting uh, on this team because we were not a great shooting team. I think the NBA league average last season was about 35 and a half percent from three. If you look at the 20 guys that we're bringing into training camp so far this year, only maybe 10 or less than that shot 35 or higher from three. And if you took away like the NCAA stats from the rookies and the two way guys from that group, you probably only have maybe six guys. And of those six guys, two of them are like Thad and Bo Cruz. So, you know, they're not going to see a ton of minutes. Uh, So realistically you have four guys in Fred, Gary, um, Otto, and then, you know, maybe probably, like OG OG maybe, but he had a down year last year too. So I expect his numbers to be a bit better. So you have those four guys who can legitimately shoot the ball well from the three, but they all kind of play with each other. So, it's like, how is that going to work? And and for a lot of teams, especially in the playoffs, like they just packed the paint on Pascal. Like, you know, Pascal, we asked the world of him. He did incredible. He played well. He had a phenomenal bounce back here. I'm so proud of him. But we can't keep asking him to do that because we asked Fred to do that too. And it ran him into the ground. And so we need shooting. We need depth. And I think we have some of it with Otto Porter Jr. That was a great mm-hmm. addition. But without that, I don't see this team going as far. It it really limits our ceiling as far as how good we could be because if we can't spread the floor, teams are just going to pack the print on Pascal, Precious, OG, like everyone that drives, there's going to be no lanes. And for Pascal, that means that if there's nobody for him to kick out to to shoot Mm -hmm. to, he's just going to force up contested jump shots. And and he's not, like, it's not a successful recipe for them. So I think for me, if we can address shooting, and, and granted, we might already have, right? Like Malachi, I've been hearing, has made some good improvements. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been talking to people in Rexdale who who work with Delano in the summertime. And a lot of them have said that Delano's been making strides as well with his jump shot as well. And and you can see that at some of the America tournaments that he, he just played at, um, where he was at one of the only guys, I think, to average 15 of 5 in the entire tournament. So um, I, think, I think there's hope there. That that the shooting will improve on our team, but we cannot go into the season again with another Utah v situation where sweet can't even hit more than two threes if his life depended on it. So yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, it's it's sort of like you know we've been t- we've been talking about it for a little while with this team, but it's not going to go away until it goes away. And it's fun to be this like Vision Six Nine, this kind of like rare you know oddball team, but you do have to make shots and. Not just that, I think you have to hit enough shots that teams respect your gravity, right? A guy like Danny Green, you know, we've seen him go cold and teams, are they won't leave him from three, right? Because he has a reputation as a three-point shooter. And, you know, some of our guys have that. But, uh, you know, if it's like, for instance, like you're saying just auto, and we've just added auto, it's that's not like a massive, massive change to every single lineup. It's not as if that's going to give us everything we need. And I feel like the Raptors, you know, as I think if you're a hardcore Raptors fan, at this point you believe in our development system and that, you know, nurse is a shot doctor and all this kind of stuff. And we, you know, we can teach people to shoot the three well. And uh, a guy like Kem, you know, wasn't shooting it in Orlando, but he shoots it here. And a guy like Precious wasn't allowed to shoot it in Miami, but he shoots it here. However, I think the flip side of that is, we're going to see a lot of zone and we are going to go cold for massive stretches of the year. And a guy like precious, you know, back to uh, Amon's, uh, you know, an initial point, is kind of like, we're going to see if, if he really can shoot the three. Cause I I don't think teams are going to be like, Oh man, he was hitting the three uh, you know, after the all-star break last year, we got to fully respect him. You know, I think it's going to be like, no, show us like, you know, whatever, like three hundred threes over the course of some odd time before we really respect you. Cause there are a couple guys that, you, you know, you can't let, you can't let, pardon me, you know, Fred or Gary shoot the three. Uh, I feel like Otto's earned it and uh, OG did have a down year, but I, I put him in the camp of sort of like, you know, you don't really want to leave OG from three, but uh, yeah, even Pascal, you know, teams might opt to, to leave him in the playoffs. Uh, I've said it a bunch of times, but um Doc Rivers definitely was part of the game plan to let Barnes shoot the three, right? So Barnes is another guy that I think the whole league's going to adjust to. For sure. sure, yeah, shooting. Sorry, I, go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, sorry. And, I, and you know, to add to that point, and 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 this may be you know a bit of a wild take for some, but I honestly believe that with shooting and the ability to spread the floor on our team, Pascal could easily be in the MVP conversation next year because he should have. Probably averaged about almost ten assists a game last year. If guys just hit their shots because of the gravity that he creates when people like, as much as people might you want to troll him and hate on the spin move, like it works. You know it's a great move. You know exactly what he's doing. Except instead of Julius Randle, you're getting Pascal finishing at the basket, right? Like you you know exactly what the game plan is, and yet you can't stop it. And if you try to stop it, somebody's open. The only problem is they can't hit the open shot, right? Or if they are open. And they're streaky like Gary Trent is, you better hope he's hot or it's not going in, right? So I think if if Pascal has the ability and to trust his teammates to know that, like even when Fred's not on the floor, even when Gary's not on the floor, that a guy like Malachi could come in and give you some productive minutes where you can trust him running the point and trust that he's gonna be able to knock down those open shots when he gets them, I think that will alleviate a lot of stress. It'll help Nick Nurse tweak some of the lineups and, and give guys a little bit more freedom to, to run the ball a little bit more and make some more plays as opposed to having to rely so heavily on the starters to make something happen.
2: Yeah. Great point on Pascal. And you know, for, you am know, I don't want to be too much of a Homer here, but <laughs> I, I, I think I'm with you on him being in, in those types of conversations. I feel like what we saw from him at the end of the year, you know, he's going to be able to do that for the next two, three years. And but, you know, do that also means, like, you know, we've seen it even with a guy like Jokic. Like, you do need willing shooters. You do need people who can hit those threes. And, I mean, it's a long time ago. I think it might have been, I don't know. I don't know if it was on a Bill Simmons podcast or what. But Pascal, uh, when he, you know, he was interviewed. And he was talking about um, how when he's on offense, he feels like the person who's guarding him actually doesn't even count like he can get pat past that person at will and you know that is i I feel like superstars get to that point you know we've seen it obviously with guys like james harden where the first guy sort of doesn't matter and then once where the help comes from is is sort of the important part like how a superstar manages that stuff you know um obviously i I love to slam boston all the time but i think you know i've seen a bunch of that with tatum right where it's sort of like he's he's starting to read the defense where it's kind of okay the first guy does not matter to me but when the second guy comes over i can make sure it goes to you know sort of like the wayne gretzky pass or 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 the cross-court pass or whatever and we were seeing a lot of that from pascal but yeah you need help and you need a good system, and you need belief in all of your shooters to kind of make that as good as it can be. Um, Okay, let's get get silly a bit here. Uh, Maddie D. I want to say that I'm with you guys.
0: So sorry. I want to say that I'm with you guys in terms of, like, Pascal and MVP conversation. To me, the one thing I've been super high on for Pascal specifically, uh, seeing those Rico Hine runs, I can't watch all of them and get too excited for the season, but, um, (laughs) what, what I started to look at is this is the first real off season Pascal has had since Mm -hmm. the championship, like since the post championship. And even that was like a truncated off season because you won a championship. Um, so this is going to be the first one. And what was really special about that second year prior to the bubble was Pascal's three point shot. Um, and what we saw from Pascal this year is he's a better player than he was in that season, despite being an all-star that year, despite making second team all NBA, he totally. was really consistent this past season. Uh, he showed additional counters. I mean, his pull-up game from two is up there with, the, you know, any of the superstars in the league. And also you guys were mentioning it, those doubles, right? He was getting doubles more than anybody else. And he makes really great reads and was finding guys. It's on everybody else to hit their shots. But to me specifically, if Pascal's pull-up, can extend and he can add, it doesn't have to be, you know, Kevin Durant pull up from three, but if it can be higher than, you know, whatever is probably in the twenties right now, if he can bring that to the thirties and actually take that consistently, he's a top five MVP candidate. Like if he adds a pull-up three to his game, he has unlocked everything that you need from him. There's really no way the game plan for that kind of player who has the playmaking that he has, who has the defense that he has, who's developed all of these counters to his game because yeah, he can spin um, right past anyone and no one can stop that. But if Pascal can add that final element to his game, he's he's, he's up there with some of Mm -hmm. the upper echelon guys of the league. And I think it's hard for anyone to sort of counter that, Homer or not.
2: Well said. Well said, and agreed on all points. And I'll, the last little thing I'll add is that I feel like his defense is still elite. You know, he has to sacrifice a little bit of his defense, being such a major part of the offense. But you know, when you compare him to like the the, the greatest players in the league, you know, let's like leave Giannis out of this and and bead. But like, I think his you know Pascal is like really special D. Right. So like he he breaks up plays, and his speed is just. You know, it's capable of uh, of kind of disrupting things in a really important and integral winning way when it comes to you know clutch moments. You know, I feel like people always imagine the fadeaway and the three pointer when it comes to clutch plays, but you know, tipping a pass, breaking up a pass. You know, uh, like you know, if you've watched a lot of Warriors, you've see, you you assume that you know. Curry is the, is a clutch guy, but Draymond's pretty clutch too. You know, you oh, like, fans was, know
0: it. We saw that block on Kyle Lowry in Game Five.
2: Yeah, exactly. exactly. Okay, Maddie, uh, let's let's bring you in. Let's get a little bit silly here. Uh, sort of sticking with the training camp theme. Um, let's uh, let's let's go to you first, uh, Derek, on this one. Um, you know, this is just like whatever jokes you got here are welcome. <laughs> but I, I always, I always laugh when you see. Okay, okay, weird side here. But I, I went with my partner to the American side. Uh, she's American. Uh, the American side of the uh, Niagara Falls. Uh, like it was, a, it's kind of like a national park, and it was really beautiful. And the whole time I was there, I'm such a Raptors maniac that I was just thinking, like, I bet you, Nick Nurse. Would do something where he'd organize like all of the Raptors to come to the falls, and there'd be this speech about like whatever, like water and hydropower, and like how they could need to work together or some shit. But yeah, anyways, <laughs> it was just making me think about training camp. And and like how they kind of make these like team bonding trips and like they're they're a mixture, I think, of like silly. But also when you think about a lot of these guys being so young, like pretty important, pretty cool, potentially. Um, so with that said, uh, I, I want you to imagine you're in charge of planning one of these excursions. What's going down? What you know, where are you taking the
1: Raptors? Like what what's what's the goal? Okay, so I've I've been thinking about this and I think I have the perfect idea. The problem is we'd have to start training camp like a couple weeks earlier. Hey, but what I fine. would do is I'm taking the Raptors to the X. We're going to the CNE together as a team. Because like I I can already see it. I could see Nick Nurse giving guys a speech at the band shell. Performing on his guitar, maybe the Arkell show up. I don't know. Possibly they would know, show up. I think they would. They will probably show up. And then you know, I could see you know Scotty and Delano go into the the food building and just trying all those weird foods out and being like, you know, yeah. this I want ketchup ice cream and I want mustard ice cream. I know it tastes like ass and it probably doesn't make sense, but somehow it works. Yeah. And that's just like our team. It's very <laughs> weird but dynamic, you know. And then you you could get the uh, you know I could see OG and Gary going into the arts and crafts building, trying to figure out you know. Know, which sort of, like, international rug they want to put in their house or something like that. <laughs> maybe buy a shiatsu massage or something like that. Sure. I could see that. Maybe check out a dog show. And then, you know, I could see, you know, maybe Fred and Pascal getting competitive with some of the games at ring toss or something like that. Like, I, I could see all of this. And then you get the nice, you know, you kind of cap the evening either on the Ferris wheel or the little ski lift ride. And then you kind of get the pairings. Right? like, who, who would be on the ski lift together with who, right? Like, right. obviously, you know, you're going to probably have Pascal and Fred and then I don't know who Nurse is with. Maybe he's with, you know, uh, Coach Griffin or something like that. Like, it, there's there's a lot of options here. There's a lot of good team building and a lot of fun that I think could happen from this.
2: Okay, that's that's a wonderful answer. I love the idea of, like, capping the evening on this, like, romantic <laughs> Ferris wheel. I'm also thinking, like, team photo on the Medieval Times steps. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um okay that's that's fantastic that's like a legit really good idea I, I the only thing is i feel like they would have to have a massive amount of security guards because if Probably, they all yeah. if they rolled up to the
1: cne people would go insane yeah um, and it not only, to be
0: like the day after labor day when like CNEs closed yes exactly, so like exactly. yeah
1: yeah and also, like, I also feel like I, like, from a safety standpoint, I don't know if the Raptors would want to risk that. Because, like, these guys are like six, eight, six, nine, two. And two and
0: come out of a seat like, Yeah, <laughs> like
1: you know, do you want to put Scotty on the gondola and then his legs still hanging and touching the top of the food? I don't know, you know. So, yeah. like, it just yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, it could get pretty dangerous for sure. Um, okay, that I mean, I mean that like I could, I could uh, like as you were saying that I was seeing that so. Um, great answer. Uh, Iman, you're, you know, same same question. You're you're responsible for, for giving the Raptors an experience. Uh, what's the idea here?
0: I like the CNE one. I don't know if I can top that. I mean, I, I grew up really close to the CNE. So as a kid, I would, like, my sister and all of her friends worked there. So, like, I saw how quickly those rides went up the NBA insurance is going to have to like, yeah. really kick in. Yes. Those, uh, those uh, Ferris wheels that pop out of a suitcase. Um, allegedly, c and I don't know how you guys actually build anything. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so my thing is um, – First, I'm a big, big brother fan. I've just, that's all I've been talking about. If you follow me on Twitter. So I was like, how do we get people to vote each other out? And I was like, wait, no, that's probably going to create more rifts than it will. Because you'll have your alliances, but you'll also have people who get mad at each other. So I was thinking of like an escape room that they're all stuck in, right? No one gets a phone. You don't get to be distracted. There aren't any, like, outsiders there. You're stuck and have to work together. And I was like, could they, like, vote each other out every hour? Like, if Precious is just being ridiculous and everybody's like, we want him out because that's the big brother in me. But I decided that might be, um, that might not be great team building. (laughs) So, right. I'm, so I'm going to scrap that and say, maybe there's like different rooms and you have to be competitive. Like whoever can kind of solve it first. So they're like, you put them in groups. Maybe you have your starting five working together uh, in one space. Maybe you got the like job working together in another one. And you, you try to see who can sort of win out in another way. They're, they're thinking more so than just like physical feeding each other out. So
2: that's yeah. Th- that's a fantastic idea. And um I'll just uh, out myself here. I used to work in the Casaloma Escape Games uh, oh. as an actor there, and it was always hilarious. And it's like a weird social experiment. And w- at one point, actually, they uh, they brought in like a- like NHL prospects. It was it was weird because like I-, I was like the actor, and I'm like, you have to get to the top of the tower or whatever. And um, these like all these like 18 year olds who are, like from Sweden and Finland and stuff, like who were like super buff and taller than me i was like what's going on but like what's this group about and then yeah we found out who they were but they were hyper competitive and they actually were good at the escape games um even with some of the language barriers because they're just like yeah it was a, it was a like a different arena for them to be competitive right. and 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 you know the biggest thing is communication in those things so uh, escape games is, is a wonderful idea, and I love the idea of separating them. Like, just like, give me a camera of Scotty playing <laughs> an escape game, and it w- it would be glorious. Also, people always break stuff. I can't see the Raptors not just like, st- yeah, I-, I mean,
0: like this I- must be a clue, yes. no, it's just a door handle. Stop <laughs> pulling on it.
2: <laughs> yeah, hundred like, percent. And they're also big and strong that I feel like even just by accident, like stuff would break. Um, these are, these are great. Uh, Maddie, like, I feel like the pressure's on, I can already tell you, my answer is not going to live up to the first two, but Maddie, what's your, what's your excursion idea?
3: Well, it's funny that you, you open this up talking about Niagara falls. There is a little bit of Niagara falls in my thing, but we'll get to that. What what I wanted to start with is, uh, you remember how LeBron was big into the banana boating and stuff years ago. Yes, I want like a custom team, like huge one that can fit the whole team, and they do a Lake Ontario tour, and they're like going along the shores, they're seeing fans, they're stopping in different towns and stuff for for, uh, you know restaurants and what different excursion stuff. They're making their way around Lake Ontario, but they've got another part of this journey that nobody knows, and it's they're headed to Niagara Falls. They're going to the Niagara River, and as they get closer to Niagara Falls they are still got the banana boat. They all, they all stand on each other's shoulders to get the banana boat over the, over the falls. Sure. And they continue to Lake Erie, all right? Because that's where it's going. Now, what they do at Lake Erie, they ditch the banana boat. And we've talked about it before. Lake Erie's pretty shallow. I think the only person that will have a problem with that lake is probably Fred. He's under six feet, so he might need to have wear a life jacket. Everyone else can walk it, no problem. And they're going to walk that Lake Erie, to Cleveland, they're going to stand out in okay. Lake Erie, and it's going to turn a bit more of like a Jordan Peel thing. It's going to require a lot of commitment on the <laughs> players' part, but we're just going to kind of show Cleveland that we're not afraid of the trades they've made or the team that they have, and we're but just going like to—they're like, <laughs> all going to be standing in Lake Erie, <laughs> looking very like solemn and like serious. And uh, and then they'll just turn around and and they'll leave and those that'll be their point.
2: So that's uh, wow 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 wild... a lot a lot to unpack there <laughs> honestly a lot to first of all uh, you know uh, Amon was talking about uh, you know I- insurance uh, yeah I, I think we'll need some insurance there because I think the the Raptors all getting injured in Lake Erie uh, is is not a good story on each other's um, shoulders at Niagara Falls like that's, that's a yeah bit of that's a that's pretty dangerous too. That's pretty dangerous. <laughs> I I also love the idea that you threw in some intimidation, um, like like we're gonna intimidate Cleveland. Like that's our group excursion. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna like yeah try to pick a fight with uh, Evan Mobley. Um, that's really good. Okay, mine is like I, I'm I'm torn between a couple ideas, uh, but I think. I want to bring it back to, um, you know, sort of like trying a different sport. I love I love seeing athletes sort of like try to prove themselves, uh, prove themselves in a different sport. So uh, mine is sort of there's a there's a similar theme to yours, Matt, in that it's like <laughs> showing them that they're better than something. And in this case, uh, I, I would start like kind of casually by bringing him to the Hockey Hall of Fame uh and you know i think they might be a little bit bored and you know messing around and like you know just like checking things out but it would end uh you know in the hall of fame with a speech uh, and all the raptors would be shown that the raptors are now a more valuable team to uh to canada than the leafs so i would basically tell them like listen this is your town now so first things first, we're going to prove that. And we're we're going to put you all on skates uh, and we're going to fully just we're going to like, you know, listen, we have enough money. We can use Maple Leafs, uh, all the equipment, and everything. Uh, probably some of the size is going to be an issue and insurance is going to be a major issue here. But like, you know, just play a bunch of hockey like I guess. Yeah, they'd probably fall in like hurt themselves but i bet they'd all catch on real quick and you know even do some like hockey fights and stuff and (laughs) basically just make a mockery of the game of hockey uh for fun and and kind of tell them like this is this is your town now and um this is what we're gonna do we're gonna mess around and play some hockey why don't
3: they just go to the hockey hall of fame and trash it
2: (laughs) <laughs> sure yeah yeah you know what it's an escape game out of here. I just break the stanley cup over your knee. Um, yeah that's, that, that's better cut out the whole shitty part of my story just tell these guys you can trash this place <laughs> give, give them all a sledgehammer um Okay, this is good. then <laughs> got some excursion ideas. I hope MLSC is hope listening. listening yeah uh, and they'll be pretty frustrated at my answer I think <laughs> um, but uh, okay let's so let's talk some NBA stuff uh, and Maddie, I think yeah uh, I thought I thought it was weird owl for the for the NBA or for the Raptors, but I think it's weird owl for the NBA. So please give me your best weirdest weird owl sting.
3: This is Adam Silver huh, huh.
2: Classic Adam Silver bit. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, I mean, sort of speaking of Adam Silver, um, getting a little bit serious here, uh, going from silly to serious. uh, I'm going to go to you first, uh, Iman. And, um, you know, we don't have to go through every, you know, horrible thing that uh, Robert Sarver did, um, but... This sort of suspension, I feel like, you know, I, I've seen a lot of interesting opinions. You know, for the most part, people are upset with it just being a one-year suspension. And I should also add, uh, you know, it's not just from the Phoenix Suns. Um, uh, it's also from the Mercury of the WNBA. And a lot of the allegations involve both teams. Um, you know, misogynistic behavior, racist behavior, just lewd, kind of like degenerate behavior. Lots of really gross, you know, like, Privilege, wealth, power, garbage, and um, it's hard for me not to think that this is—I don't want to say like Donald Sterling 2.0, but I feel like the NBA is in this this crisis now where people are rightfully upset with this the the, the one year suspension. And yeah, you know, I, I don't want either of you to like you know, no one's going to have a perfect answer to this, but uh, you know, in general, like. What are your thoughts on, like, you know, what can the NBA maybe do with, uh, you know, these out of control individuals? You know, I don't want to call them owners. I feel like that's a problematic term at this point. But like, yeah, like what, what, like what is possible here? You know, I, you know, even if it's a bit idealistic, that's fine.
0: Yeah, no, I think that that's that's a good question. So I um, honestly was surprised at even the one year suspension and the $10 million fine, which I believe is the most that the NBA can find anyone. And only because with Donald Sterling, there was the smoking gun. There was no, like you had a video, it was on TMZ. The entire world saw it. There's no way to misconstrue what he said on that video. Um, It's right there for you. And I want to say the amount of worker, like the amount of like the men and women who came out from both the Mercury and the Suns, um, the documents that they have, I don't want to say that there is no smoking gun. There's a lot of evidence. There are a lot of documents. There's a lot of proof that this happened. And I believe all of those men and women and like, incredibly brave of them to do this but something that we're missing here is the other owners are the ones in charge here they're adam silver's boss adam silver's not their boss he's not the one who gets to decide this and here's the thing Mm -hmm. as soon as the donald sterling uh tapes came out i believe it was mark cuban and i don't want to misquote him but i believe his exact words were this is a slippery slope and why that is, is once information on an owner can come out, if that can make the, if that forces the owner to sell his team or lose his team or their team, other uh, female owners as well, um, that like the other owners are not going to be okay with that. And they all yeah. have to get on board. And so I think that that's something that like is missing here. I, I don't want to blame Adam Silver too much because I don't know that he, he like, the other owners are not going to sign off on this. And with Donald Sterling, you had to have all of them in agreement here. I think bringing something like this into the next CBO, CBA negotiations for the league is going to be really important because we keep talking about, oh, superstar empowerment. Look at how these you know mm. the owners in the next CBA, they're going to fight back because what Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and all these superstars are doing is ruining the league well i think the players are going to have a lot of reason to push back and i think that like i wouldn't be surprised to see some of this come up because here's the thing and i, I do want to make this brief but um last year uh, i was doing a dishes and dime podcast and we were talking about jason kidd and chauncey billups being hired by the mm-hmm. portland trailblazers and the dallas mavericks despite that um, accusations that came against them years ago um And I remember saying, okay, let's let's just Google the Mavs owner and let's just Google the Blazers owner and let's see if they have anything. And lo and behold, Mark Cuban alleged there was a sexual assault um, complaint against him in 2011. And for the Blazers owner, I forget her name, but there was also an alleged sexual, sexual assault allegation against her by a bodyguard. So I'm like. We just happened to Google two random owners and we found something. The fact of the matter is most of these owners are going to have something. And I think that there's going to be a lot of pushback on their team being taken away from them without that smoking gun being there. So it'll be really interesting to see what the precedent that set is. Um, So I'm really looking forward to like what the NBA finds and how do they force Robert Sarver's hands to move out the league. I think that that's what um, both the W and the NBA want to do, but how they go about doing that. considering the other 29 owners in the league are probably not that happy about that, um, would be, I think it's going to be really, really interesting. Like this is a little different than the dream situation with the W last year Mm -hmm. um, because the NBA is involved and how that sort of changes things because we're dealing with billionaire owners here. Um, So I'm really sort of interesting. This is going to set a lot of precedence moving forward. There's no doubt in my mind that the owners are gonna put in as many hurdles as they can in front of Adam Silver because their workers coming out and being whistleblowers and that being a catalyst to get them out is not something that I'm assuming most owners are going to be okay with if Mark Cuban wasn't even okay with the video coming out of someone saying incredibly racist and derogatory things.
2: I mean, so many good points, Um, you know, uh, and just to back you up with the smoking gun, like I I agree there is, you know, there's proof, there's documents here. But, you know, talking about Magic Johnson in the way, you know, such an NBA legend was like it really hit a nerve and it was like the level of PR disaster that's totally unavoidable.
0: And just to add to that, so sorry, but like Donald Sterling had tons of allegations about him prior to that, both in his real estate and in the league in the way that he was treating his black players and the fact that he only really wanted black players to play for him and the way that he just brought people in to you know watch them shower and things like just the the, the accusations against Donald Sterling for decades was nothing it was a video that did it in the end
2: Sorry. Yeah, I, I agree. There was like a litany of kind of like heinous shit. And, you know, it really took that sort of like, I guess, yeah, like video and, you know, audio for everyone to just consume uh, in, in the way it was consumed to kind of like force all of the owners hands. And, you know, like two things I want to kind of just jump on quickly before I go to Derek that, you know, you said so well is the the kind of power structure it's just, it's really built to reinforce itself. You know, this is sort of like the systemic, you know, racism and like privilege and power kind of like, this is, we're watching it, right? That's how it works. And, you know, one owner doesn't want to open up a a door that could, you know, be, be slammed on them eventually. And then also, I think to me, the key point here is, I'm glad you brought up the dream as well, because, you know, what the dream did was, you know, they really kind of, like work together uh, in, in that situation. And, you know, also, you know, thinking about what the Clippers did and threatening to not play. I think that is really important, you know, especially as we head towards the the, the bargaining. Right. Cause like, yeah, you, all, all you hear is like, Oh, player empowerment whatever, you know, is, is negative, even though, you know, you can tell Isaiah Thomas to keep playing and he gets injured and then, you know, doesn't get the bag and you trade him and then like that's totally fine. But you know, players exercising their leverage, now we have a problem. And I think that the players will and should use this as ammunition, right? Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to, you know, leave Derek out of this. So uh Derek, you know, what's sh- I hope anyone take hope he didn't take all the points away from you. Yeah. But
1: um yeah, so we're sorry, we're Derek, so no no no, know, no 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 I have plenty to talk about so that's okay. Okay, yeah. yeah. Jump in. Um, yeah, no, it's it's interesting that you, you had mentioned that you don't want to call it Donald Sterling 2.0 at the beginning, Freddie, because other NBA players are calling that it, oh, what it is, right? So J- Jamal Crawford, who played on the Suns and knows Robert Sarver, called and tweeted out the other day that this is Donald Sterling 2.0. Um, and to, to oh, me, wow, um, when former players who played under that, you know, team and under that ownership at the time um, can speak to that um, – that speaks volumes, right? And granted, he's one player, but there are also several other players that were in that report, and several other workers um, on both the NBA side and the NBA side. And to me, I think if if that is the case, and these allegations from the investigation that they found are to be true, um, I think that the NBA already set the precedent with Donald Sterling. Like you have to be banned for a lifetime. And 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 to clear things up, like the NBA didn't make Donald Sterling sell the team. His wife sold the team. And his it was, it was a transfer of power that he gave to his wife because mm-hmm. of the things that you had mentioned, because players are threatening not to play, because the advertisers for the company and for the NBA were saying Gatorade's pulling out, Nike's pulling right. out. Like, we are being threatened with lawsuits from other companies that we have agreements with because they feel like we're not holding up our end of the bargain, and they don't want to be involved in that. So if I'm the NBA and Adam Silver in that situation, of course, they're going to be like, well, I care about what's best for the future of this business and to protect the league in order to protect the league and its name and its branding. You have to get rid of people like that. I- I'm sorry. Like, like if you already set that tone in, you know, almost we're coming up on almost a decade since Donald Sterling, then I think this is not that different. Granted, they are two isolated incidents with two different people. I think you know, When you have an owner who is saying the N-word multiple times, and it's been documented and reported and witnessed by other people, and as early as 2004, people are telling you, you should not be saying this because it makes people uncomfortable, and here's all of the reasons why, mm-hmm. and yet 18 years go by, and you continue that behavior— you've passed the point of, you know, being able to say, well, we allowed you time to course correct and fix your mistakes and learn and become an ally or do better. And even then in 2004, Robert, Star- Robert Sarver was what, 60 now? He was 40. Then if you're a 40 year old man, I'm sorry, but you should know better. You're 40. Like, yeah. you know, so in my mind, I think the NBA's uh, decision was was not strong enough. I think that if Sterling is the bar for um, having someone removed from ownership and ultimately having a team sold, I think this meets the bar. And not only that, but I think when it comes to how weak I think the NBA's move was, it's, it's incredibly damaging to the people who work for the Phoenix Suns and for their WNBA team. Because you have to think about the employees that came forward, the women that came forward, the players that came forward, who are going to see this guy in a year. He's still going to be there, and they're still going to be there. And what does that say for them in their career? Do you really think that this guy who's had a history of questionable decisions and problematic behavior is all of a sudden going to look the other way knowing that your name was in a report against him? I don't think so, right? So now their careers are in jeopardy. Their livelihood is in jeopardy, and they're not billionaires, right? So for me, I, I just worry you know, beyond... You know, the move, how it's going to impact the people on the ground, the people who actually came forward. And, you know, if you look in, if you listen to, you know, some of what Richard Jefferson was saying, who grew up in the Arizona area, played for Arizona in college, you know, played with a lot of guys that played on the Phoenix Suns. He says that the investigation that they came out with that report that they found. Is, is just scratching the surface. There's a lot more that other players did not feel comfortable coming forward with, did not feel like talking about, uh, for whatever the case that may be. And I, I worry that, you know, if, if they don't come forward now and that the NBA doesn't look to reevaluate that decision, that we're just going to reinstate somebody in a year that's going to continue the behavior that they've been doing for almost the last 20 years. And, you know, to Iman's to point about, you know, the NBA being able to have some sort of say, especially the, the other owners in the league, I think part of the problem is that this didn't go to a vote. Right, So in order for the NBA to have some sort of push to, to say, yes, we want to get rid of this guy, um, they, the, it has to go to a vote. And, and from my understanding, what they found in the investigation, they felt like it, there wasn't enough, I guess, I don't know, evidence, for lack of a better term, um, to, to go to a vote, to ask the other board members of the NBA and the other ownership groups if they feel comfortable having Sarver as an owner. So I think if it went to a vote, I do think the rest of the owners in the league would want to get him out. However, to Iman's other point, um, I think there's there's plenty of other owners in the NBA that also have skeletons in their closet. Oh, yeah. And and some of them may have maybe friends with Sarver and maybe also worried that this guy is going to snitch on them. That this guy, if the NBA moves to do that, that there is going to be a whole lot more dirt that gets revealed about a whole lot more than just the Phoenix Suns. And they could be worried that there could be, you know, that could put their ownership in jeopardy as well. So I think this is like a very dynamic situation where there's so many layers to this that I think Adam Silver is in a tough position. But I do think that if the precedent in the bar is Donald Sterling, that we need to to treat Robert Sarver as such because I think, and I'm sorry if, I, if I'm going too long, but, no, no. um, but, but I think, you know, 10 years ago when or around 10 years ago, when this stuff was happening with Sterling, what I don't understand is that the allegations are similar. The behavior is similar. The only difference is that we just don't have this in audio or video that that's literally it. Right. and, and, Part of it is like, I wonder, is it because this is happening in the off season that this report is coming out? Is it because there's no TMZ videotape or audio tape that, that this is not the the smoking gun, as you had mentioned? Because it, it just doesn't make sense. Like on every other point of criteria that you would look at for problematic behavior and everything else, it meets the sterling bar. Yet, I guess because there's a lack of evidence, they feel like they don't have enough to maybe make a strong of a decision. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I mean. Sorry, did, were you going to jump in, Iman?
0: I was just going to say that like a report also came like against the Dallas Mavericks. And granted, it wasn't against Mark Cuban, but it was the person that he empowered to run yeah. the entire organization for them. Um, we know about sexual assault cases against the New York Knicks with Isaiah Thomas specifically there. I think that the other owners... Like we know that these are this is happening in other teams. We heard about um I forget um the Blazers general manager. Now granted it wasn't assault in any way, but we heard that he was a very difficult uh and he's since been out. Can't his name is escaping me at this very moment. But like is it Neil O'Shea? Neil O'Shea, yes. Uh, So we heard about like how difficult it was for people to work under Neil O'Shea. Now, I'm not going to say that it went to the extent of racism or sexual assault because we don't actually know what's or sexual harassment, I should say, because we don't actually know what's happening there. But I'd be very surprised if what was happening in Phoenix, because it was so loud for so many years, is not also happening in some other teams when we, for a fact- know that it has been and so I think that's the only thing that's going to give the owners pause and I think that that's why Adam Silver is like we have to have this investigation and maybe it comes to a vote at that point I think the other owners are going to say if some of my workers can come out and they don't even have tape of me saying this and I get ousted um that's going to pause uh cause some problems I think for the other owners in the league and I think that that might be where some of the pause is but I agree with everything that you said Derek in terms of like the morality of this he should be out and it should be without question but I I think the dragging of the NBA's feet comes from from that. Also, Jamal Crawford played for both Sterling played under yeah. both Sterling and um uh names are escaping me. Whoever we're talking about right now, Sarver. Sarver. <laughs> so like he's the perfect person to to sort of, you know, if he calls it that then I think we should all be really paying attention.
1: Yeah, and and to that point, sorry to just add one more thing. I think like the players that are involved in this, like I think CP3, another guy who's played under Sterling and is now playing under Sarver currently. Mm. Um, you know, I, there's there's people who would say, well, maybe the players should do something, but it's like, should should that have to lay on the players' feet to do something about that? And even then, I don't even think that what they did years ago for Sterling made that much of a big difference. Like they literally they. Th- they threatened to not play games, but they did not not play games. They linked, arms, I
0: think. And they, they,
1: they linked arms and they flipped their, their warm-up t-shirts inside out, like... Okay, like not to discredit what they're doing, because obviously that takes courage to do those things. But in the grand scheme of things, you flipping your T-shirt inside out with and holding hands with DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin isn't going to change the NBA's mind. No disrespect to them. Right. So I think that we need to go further than we did then to ensure that no stone is unturned in this investigation and to not have it be all on the players, because I'm not going to ask a group of. You know, young 12 to 15 to 20 black men to have to fight these battles that owners and the entire NBA's head office should be. I mean,
2: so many good points. And, you know, it makes me think of the, you know, uh, the the Fred uh, Van Vliet interview in the bubble when, uh, you know, he was asked about the uh, police assassination and, you know, he sort of just flipped it back on the reporters and he was like, why am I like, like, how do I feel? Like, I don't know. Like, how do you guys feel? And, you know, that was sort of like, you know, preceded the, the, I think it was the bucks. Was it the bucks Boston game? Uh, or oh, sorry, bucks magic game. And, um, yeah you know uh, it's just making me think sort of like uh how much pressure we put on the players to sort of like push this this movement only for it you know later to be like turned into like a corporate thing and also you know a great point uh Derek uh, you know uh, a couple minutes ago just about like the the kind of like corporate collapse and yeah I've you know it makes me think a lot of like Fox news anchors, that sort of thing. Like when the ads, when the revenue starts to kind of like teeter a little bit, that can have the, like the, I guess the ripple effect needed to sort of, you know, tip the scales. And yeah, I mean, so I'm also thinking sort of about the, you know, movements we've seen in sports and, and kind of like the, the net, like why the necessity to have this like viral video audio moment is that kind of like is that how people really pay attention is that how things spread fast enough and far enough like if it's just in the off season and just in writing is that not enough uh i know i'm just asking more questions but uh yeah you know great points by both of you i mean i'm, I'm so glad i had you guys on the podcast because uh yeah i think this is a really good discussion and it is a dynamic scenario that's going to evolve um and i mean ho- hopefully we get you know, not just players speaking on it, but, um, it would be awesome to see, you know, more media and, uh, I mean, fans and, and I guess, you know, corporate structures that are like, you know, is, is there any, is there anyone from Gatorade? Is there anyone from Nike? You know, what, like, where's this going to go and, and how's it going to kind of unfold? I think we'll, uh, yeah, it's not gonna be the last time we talk about it, but, um, you know, I it's always weird to transition from something like this. So uh, I'll just, I'll just do it uh, plainly, but um we're we're just going to dive into our last subject here, uh, which is that, uh, you know, the strength of the East uh, and the West. Uh, it's something I've always joked about, especially as a Raptors fan and, you know, thinking about owners, I feel like there's, a history of like incompetence in the east end. So there's kind of been like there's always a bunch of franchises where it's like, uh, you know, I'm not worried about the Raptors because like whatever, the Wizards, the Knicks, the Magic, like they're not going to put it together. But uh I think we're in sort of a rare time right now where teams that generally never try to lose, like, you know, the Jazz Uh, the Spurs, they're, they're, you know, they, they want a high pick. They're, they're trying to not win games and I would throw the, uh, you know, the rockets in there. I would throw the thunder in there. So, you know, thinking about the play in, right. That's uh, that goes up to team 10. Uh, So I think, yeah, it's just making me reflect sort of on um, not in a deep way, like what we were just talking about, but it's making me think about, what the dynamics going to be there as far as like who benefits from this the most? Is it the teams trying to get into the play-in? Is it the teams that can, you know, sort of like nurse their older players along through the marathon of the season? And yeah, it's just interested in both your perspectives. So uh, let's go to you first, Derek. You know, a, a lot of teams can benefit in different ways, but give me a team in the West who you think is going to, uh, I guess, appreciate this new climate.
1: Honestly, I, th- I, I think it's going to be OKC. I, I just feel like I, yeah. really, I really like their general manager. I really like their ability to build teams. And they have even more assets, I would say, than Utah, um, because they're on a fresh rebuild. And Utah's got a ton of picks. But majority of the NBA's picks over the next five years belong to like a handful of teams. Mm-hmm. So how is that going to pan out, right? Where is that going to go? Who are those picks that are going to be moved? And what are those teams going to be looking like? And I think for for OKC, you know, just looking at unfortunate, unfortunately, the injury to Chet Holmgren, I think they they may are they may already be in a position where if they somehow end up getting Victor Wembanyama next year, like their their tank is done, like they they're going to start to look to unload those draft picks, start building uh, around a lot of their young core because they have a team that is going to be weirdly built like the Raptors, but is going to be very young and much like Cleveland will have a young core that you'll have for at least five to seven years that you can build a legitimate championship team against. And I think for them, they're relishing the fact that there's a lot of teams that are looking like the Lakers, for example, who are desperate to add quality pieces to their Mm -hmm. team and are a bit capped out. But the only thing they have to offer is really potentially valuable draft capital. So, you know, maybe the Lakers call, uh, you know, OKC to say, hey, you know, we really like Lou Dort. We really like Shea. What can we do? What, who can we give for that, right? Because for, for the Lakers, they, they really don't want to give up their 2027 and 2029 pick. But I look at a team like OKC, and and they're just ripe for the taking for whatever team wants to give them assets and whatever development they want to do for the next five to 10 years.
2: That's a great answer. And uh, I'll be honest, I didn't really think about any of the teams that are you know sort of at the bottom there benefiting because I i was just thinking about them racing to the you know most amount of losses sort of thing but yeah i guess if you're accumulating you can use this as an opportunity to accumulate more um and i mean yeah okc is uh is interesting because i feel like they become a bit of a joke as far as like when you know, similar to the process like when do you try to be good and uh you know being good is sort of the name of the game and i guess that you're you know explaining exploiting the i guess like the the structure of the NBA and that like hey you got to you know be bad to get picks sort of thing and make a bunch of deals but um yeah i mean do, is, is it like like who are the players on OKC that will eventually be part of the team that wins uh is it anyone that's on the team now i don't know and Yeah, it should be interesting to see how teams like, I mean, maybe I'll throw Houston in there too. Like, are they going to accumulate more as well? Could They already have some high picks, right? So um, yeah, uh, that's an interesting take. Uh, Iman, I'll go to you. Um, I don't know if you're, you know, in the same ballpark. Maybe like, are you thinking like a contender is going to benefit the most? Like, who do you think benefits from the climate in the West?
0: Uh, I don't think it's the contenders. I think the contenders are kind of, the same ones that they've been for a few years now. You have your Clippers, if they're finally healthy, you have your Warriors who've been at the top. The teams that I think benefit the most are your teams like the Timberwolves and the Sacramento Kings that have been those like they they're the equivalent of the Knicks and the Wizards right like they're the yeah. equivalent of that in the east which still not not even though the east has gotten better those are two teams that I'm not worried about still they've gotten yeah. better over the offseason I will say but um it's it's the Kings and the Timberwolves i mean the Timberwolves had what like a 13 year playoff drought before 2018 and then they won one playoff game before going down and out this last year they're building on that and they should be around they should be a playoff team right like i would i would walk them in as a playoff team even i haven't done like the west standings in my brain yet but Mm -hmm. i would imagine i'd have them in there before even a play-in team and then the kings i think the kings can be a play-in team right with the amount of teams sort of tanking in the western conference the kings obviously made the moves for sabonis last year um they still have fox on the roster they are trying to win now and you only get like When was the last time that we got win now moves from the Timberwolves and from the Sacramento Kings? And that's something that they both have done within the last calendar year. Um, And that's something that they would have never done had the play in not existed and had a lot of these Western conference teams not decided to tank out. So for those, for the fans of those teams who have gone, I think 2006 was the last year that the Kings Yeah. I'm
2: curious about the Kings. Is that the longest drought in the league?
0: that it would be the longest drought in the league's uh, 16 years of not making the playoffs. I think that's far and away the longest. And I think the Timberwolves had been rivaling them, but then they got Jimmy Butler for that one year. Yeah. Um. So like th- those are the teams that benefit the most because I, I do think the Kings will be in the play in situation. They made a win now move trading for Sabonis and we just saw what the Timberwolves did and they can be a very good team. I don't know that they're going to be a contender necessarily, but they'll have, I mean, Gobert's doing right now in Europe is is actually like he's dominating it, and if you have him with Cath, they become a really really interesting team with Anthony Edwards there as well. Mm-hmm. So it's those teams and those fan bases who haven't had playoff success that can really look to April and May and expect to see basketball when it's been decades since that's happened.
2: Yeah, so the uh, the Kings are actually my team as well um but uh I, I had a backup and sort of for the same reasons uh my backup is the. I, let me just
0: sorry. i just said the timberwolves kings are all yours
2: <laughs> oh sorry uh uh sorry I, oh wait so your your selection is actually the timberwolves
0: yeah like let me let me just only take one team. my selection is the timberwolves have benefited the most kings are all yours sorry.
2: okay well i mean yeah like, like like kings sort of for you know a, a, a bunch of the reasons you said, and I just looked up the playoff drought. It's a uh, King's 16 years. Uh, and the second team is Charlotte six years. So uh, yeah, I mean, if you're the Kings, you're one of the smallest markets uh, in the NBA. And, you know, I think you have a, a decent, you know, amount of your picks, if not more than that. And I feel like you're in this situation where, you know, the, the LA, you know, franchises, I've uh, sort of like, went all in and, you know, traded a lot of their picks away sort of thing. But I think, you know, if, if you're really wanting to win, if you're wanting to make some noise and, you know, give some love to your fans, this is truly an opportunity for you to do that. Uh, I remember when the Kings traded Halliburton, you know, obviously they they got back Sabonis, but people were kind of upset. It's like, you're not building, but I feel like this could be part of, uh, you know, I I don't want to say like a a long-term vision, but uh, the, you know, King's owners could kind of justify it to their fans a bit more by saying like, hey, you know, this is actually the time for us to strike in the West. And also, you know, to your point about Minnesota, like any time is the time to strike when you've been out of the playoffs for that long and you're a smaller franchise. And yeah, I'll just like throw in these sort of, you know, similar points to uh, the Pelicans. Like I, I, I know that they've re-signed Zion, but I think if you're a Pelicans fan, you're kind of wondering, like, what is like, you know, it's like we have a lot of talent here. So, like, are we going to just try to figure it out and then, like, win in the next couple years? Or, or you know, should we be kind of doing what Minnesota's doing? And, you know, I, I really credit uh, Cleveland and Minnesota and these these franchises that have a history of kind of, you know, I mean, Cleveland's not fair to say because of the LeBron years, but like the, yeah, they're, they're not, uh, you know, a major marketplace. They kind of have been mismanaged. Uh, you know, they have some embarrassing parts of their history, but I feel like it's, you know, you play to win and you, and, and you're going for it. And, you know, I think it's, uh, it's sort of the time for teams like Pelicans, Kings, um, you know, and maybe to like a, a lesser extent, um, you know, I, I was gonna throw in the Rockets there, but I feel like they're probably too far away still. Like they're a team that is hoping for I think some good glimpses and then they'll probably shut their key guys down and 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 try to get a high pick. But um yeah, I think I think that's that's it for the pod, uh unless anyone else has any good points. It was a really, really good episode. I appreciate having you both. Um let me go to you first, uh let me go to you first, Derek. Uh, you know, is there anything you want to plug? Is there anything you wanna say to the listeners
1: um yeah i mean i don't have anything major to to plug other than to say uh you know support women in sports support uh, the WNBA, support dishes and dimes um i think that there's a phenomenal amount of uh, talented people out there that cover this game and it's not men um and yeah. we should support them and, and to to take in their products so uh, definitely check that out and of course as always support your public broadcaster
2: hell yeah uh well said well said um Iman let me go to you uh yeah well, you know I mean people should know where you are but uh just in case they don't where can they find you what do you want to plug what do you want to say
0: um, I, it's hard to follow up, what Derek just said, I echo out all of his sentiments. Um, uh, check me out on Dishes and Dimes. We'll be coming back for a new season. Also Yahoo Sports Canada. Also, uh, Basketball News. Be sort of in, in more places, coming out with video and written content. So please check that out. And, um, on Twitter, Iman Adam if underscore adam i don't even know my name it was nope name for a long time and i kind of miss it but uh yeah
2: <laughs> I, I love the last little part where you, you've made that twitter name and you're like oh i miss my i miss my old twitter name um it. yeah thank you so thank you both so much this was a great episode and uh, again our listenership has really been growing over the past little while so thanks to everyone who's been listening and supporting and um yeah we'll we'll, we'll see you next week maddie if you feel like we're done we're good to go Please just give me those words I love so much. Okay. Okay. Listen to full episodes of The Confederacy
3: of Dunks only on the Rapcast.